This is a WTOP original podcast. From Podcast One. Previously on Colors. Remember the Lost Boys of Sudan? 20,000 boys of the New Era and Dinka ethnic groups were displaced and orphaned. And this took place during the Second Sudanese War from 1987 to 2005. Some of these boys ended up in resettlement programs here in the U.S. One of them ended up being my friend, Abraham Awolich. Things got better. He went back to South Sudan. But now, things have erupted again. Coming up in this episode of Colors. Hello, my name is Chelsea Jewett, and I am here interviewing Jack Hardy. We feature the Cayuga County, New York Oral History Project. When and where were you born? The goal is to learn as much as they can. Do you have any siblings? And to talk to as many people as possible. This is Alexis Rivers interviewing Danielle Bergen from Lahaina, Hawaii. Oral histories like this one are the key to our past, present, and future. And we'll talk more about the Cayuga County program. That's coming up in this episode of Colors. Simmering racial tensions. Segregation now and tomorrow and forever. Fighting. Injustice. I have a dream. Conflict looming. Brutality exposed. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. The search for solutions starts here. From WTOP in Washington, D.C. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America. Check the mic and make sure it sounds right, boys. Hi, my name is Sahara. I'm African-American and live in New York City. My name is Albert Takeshi Shimabukuro. I am a Japanese Okinawan here in the Washington, D.C. area. My name is Karen Hansen. I'm white. I'm from Des Moines, Iowa, and I live in Washington, D.C. And I'm J.J. Green. I'm black. And this is Colors. No matter who we're descended from or where we came from, our history is important. That's why oral history is important. It sounds right, boys. And there are many programs throughout the country that engage in trying to make sure these histories are told and preserved. Joining us today is Jeffrey Starks. He's Director of Development and Outreach at the Cuga Museum of History and Art in Auburn, New York. And this is how our conversation works. So you have a very interesting program there. Um, and it's, I believe, called an Oral Histories Project. Would you um, tell us what this this project is all about? Sure. So it's called the Voices of Cayuga County Oral History Project. So the Cayuga Museum of History and Art, we are the representative museum for the entire county of Cayuga County in, in New York State. And it is this uh, a project that's really focused on collecting the stories of the uh what we refer to as the historically underrepresented groups of Auburn, uh, who have really kind of been left out of the historical narratives in the telling of the broader history of the county. Mm. And who are those groups? Which which people? Which groups uh, make up this this unit that you're you're trying to cover? 
So we've kept it pretty broad. It's uh, mostly focused around um, the local, the black communities and the uh, Latina O communities and LGBTQ, LGBTQ plus communities that we have historically engaged with the most for this project. The but the main idea behind it is to really address the fact that in a historical telling of the history of Cayuga County, which is extremely influential on both on national history as well through a number of different individuals and movements, um, we really have a lot of representation predominantly of, I mean, frankly, wealthy white industrialists and particularly men in the narrative. And this is really a way to finally start ha recognizing that we are in a much more diverse community than one would think from just looking at the way that history is presented and letting those voices that are living here be a part of representing that uh, that diversity that's been here since there, there has been a, uh, a community here within Cuba County. <laughs> So, well, first, let me just correct myself. I was referring to this in the tease from our previous uh, episode as Cayuga, but you, you've you corrected me very gently, and I appreciate it. Cuga um, is the pronunciation. Well, here's where I'm going to give you the uh, the background on that. So uh, I am actually a non-native of Cayuga County myself, and I pronounced it Cayuga for the most part, and uh for those who live here, it is definitely Cayuga County, and I've okay. been corrected on that myself. So I had to, yeah. I had to make sure that I adopted well, that. You, you always want to do what the locals do when you're local. So, you know, uh, thank you again. Um, so would you just give me a little bit of history of um, when this project started and what generated, the, you know, what was the real reason for doing it? Sure. So it's kind of a, a a mix of things. So the initial plans for putting this project together actually predate my uh, joining the museum staff. So I started in 2019. So that's now about three and a half years ago. The origin was really this look in a long-term fashion towards the development of a uh, a comprehensive exhibit exploring the entire history of Cayuga County. Uh, it's been uh, an idea for a few years, um, last decade or so, uh, because the Cayuga Museum is actually the oldest operating museum in the city of Auburn. So we just kind of grand got grandfathered into being the representative museum for the entire city. Uh, with uh, I should say that uh, to kind of get into the story, it helps to explain a little bit about like how Auburn operates because we're a fairly unique community where we are a city of 26,000 people, but we have six major historical and cultural sites in the city. So it's a very museum centered city. So to be the comprehensive history museum in this county really means something because we are in just the city of Auburn where Harriet Tubman lived for 54 years. Uh, William Seward lived, you know, this was his home base and everything. And even the site of where the Cayuga Museum is, we are the site of where the movie tone sound on film system was invented. So, uh, and then you, when you expand out into the, the county, you have Millard Fillmore, you have a president <laughs> involved, you have Nelson D. Rockefeller, or uh, sorry, John D. Rockefeller grew up in Moravia. And then, you know, you have all this, you know, this it's very historical county, but in the telling of that, 
this you know beautifully diverse county with you know plenty of dark and plenty of positive on either side with how you're seeing that um you're seeing it mostly from one perspective in the historical telling as i mean in the history field we're still going through an evolving you know look into including more voices within history so that's where this conversation was coming out of was through this broader narrative shift within the history field we started looking in the development of this, you know, an exhibit that's going to explore Cuga County needs to do it right. We need yeah. to make sure we are including the native histories of this space. We need to include the black history. There has yeah. been a black population as long as there has been a white population in Cuga County because uh, we do know that there were enslaved people here. Yeah. And that is something that is not discussed in the North as extensively. So this oral history really came out of a place of both through our community work. So we were, uh, we formed a, a sort of like a stakeholders group of um, people who are running different organizations or sure. like religious organizations, community organizations. So, so um, let me, let me, let me ask very quickly and you can continue. Um, when precisely or year wise did this start? Was this in the last decade or so or? Yeah, within the last, it's it's hard to really nail it down to a specific date because the conversation of the comprehensive exhibit has been a very long discussion. But mm -hmm. the, as far as the voices of Cuyahoga County portion is coming, I'd say since 2016, we've been having that discussion. So, um, um, um you know, you you talked about um, native natives of that, and so who are your first peoples? Do you know who your first people were? Predominantly, it is the Cuga Nation of the Haudenosaunee uh, Six Nations. Mm -hmm. The um, this region was more uh, Cuga specifically. Uh, there may have been a smaller branch called the Owasco mm -hmm. Natives. Um, for the most part, uh, one does not see a, a display of native artifacts. We do have a, an extensive collection of native artifacts here, um, and we have a very close relationship with. Um, both the Cayuga, Seneca Nation, and uh, Ganondagon, wow. which is one of the Haudenosaunee well, um, sites. This is this is great perspective, Jeff, because um, this, to be uh, transparent with our, our listeners, the reason that you and I connected was because I was looking for a descendant of Harriet Tubman because there was a statue of Harriet Tubman that was unveiled at the Central Intelligence Agency here in Washington or in the Washington area where I work, and I had the opportunity to see it, but I wanted to hear from the Tubman family, and uh, it was through you that I reached one relative, and then that relative connected me with another relative, and then there was this history about um, Auburn and the Cuga. You, you mentioned in our engagement that you had this oral histories project, so it's interesting how when people talk things happen. And that's precisely what Colors is all about. It's a dialogue on race in America. You talk to people of different races and different places, you find out things and things that are very interesting, which is this project. So my next question is, what have you learned through these conversations? I listened to a few of them online at your site. What have you learned about uh, race and in your area and, and the people in your community you know, the histories, what have you learned from these, this, this oral history project so far? 
I think what we're learning so far is that, so uh, I will be very honest, a lot of the, especially the Black uh, members that we have, of the community who we have interviewed, most of them did not end up growing up in um, Auburn, actually ended up moving to the county and region. So um, what I have noticed, though, in between the couple who have grown up here versus those who moved here is there is a bit of a different experience with that because those who moved here you know, you tend to move to the area for retirement purposes or something like that because it's beautiful, you know, Finger Lakes region. You have these uh, these wonderful community that's growing up here. But for those who, who grew up within Auburn, there may have been some different dynamics with, especially, you know, 1970s America is a very different place. So a lot of the, uh, of our group tends to have grown up within the 1970s. So, um, I mean, no community in the U.S. should probably pretend that uh, everything was perfect Mm -hmm. for anyone who was not a white straight person. And I think that is a big thing we are recognizing within the community. Um, So far, it does not seem it does seem like there was a level of discrimination within uh, the community, not as, uh, you know, outward as you would have seen in for instance places in the south or something like that but there may have been some opportunities for instance um jack hardy who's uh yeah uh is one of the uh members of the community who has grown up here all of his life um i know that his experience going to high school you know when you are one of the few black people in the community it's it's kind of a an interesting dynamic with uh yeah yeah so jack hardy if i'm correct now he was the and i think i listened to his story he's an an older gentleman who grew up but then he left and went to work for i think colgate palmolive and then came back is that the right gentleman yes that is Jack. okay so yeah and he i think still lives in the house that he grew up in uh was born in etc um but i kind of got from listening to that and watching that conversation that yeah there was a reason for leaving. Um, and, and sometimes it's opportunities because the place where I came from, there were none. And, you know, race was definitely a thing in the South. Uh, and it was, a, it was a thing everywhere. I mean, it was just a matter of how people recognized it and dealt with it. And I want to ask you this question about this project. Do you believe that this project in its, I guess, original form to, to hear these stories is a catalyst for change i think as i think it can be uh i think that our position is to make sure that these stories are recorded and documented so that they can be both used for the historical research purposes and for our own use within um exhibits we do make sure that we're not trying to whitewash history whenever we are telling it and i think that the history field in general and the museum is still evolving into that to making sure that we're we are actually accurately representing that history was not always kind to everybody who grew here it is not always a positive uh development for everyone and particularly if you are from what is considered an out group which is why we use the phrase historically excluded with the community it was that we're really focusing on here is because they are not traditionally even from the museum's collection standpoint well represented well represented within mm-hmm. um those stories yeah so some of the stories that i listened to the interviews were conducted by young people was that by design or is that by necessity um well so the project itself we first started uh 
So we wrote the grant in 2019 with a very different uh, concept of what the world was going to look like then. Uh, it was fully intended that an intern would be going would be setting up meetings to meet people in person and film them on a camera and and have that recording and uh this project started in march of 2020 so no that is not what uh, ended up happening <laughs> within reality uh -huh. um i recall that the first zoom interview i ever did was actually for interviewing interns for this project uh -huh. and um so that was a that was a very different experience uh getting mm -hmm. used to so uh, getting so, used to that so but they seem to be in control or in command of i think what's important here is coming to these interviewees with a genuine sense of curiosity i mean being young just by virtue of being young there is that innate curiosity that an older person who might have experienced a lot of things might not come to the interview with but that seems seems to it seems to make the interview i don't want to use the wrong word here but it seems to make the interview a lot a lot more genuine um mm -hmm. having young people inexperienced people talk to these really old or older shall i say experienced people because you know one could look at me and say yeah you're really old but I'm not, <laughs> you know, but the point is, it's all about perspective. Young people talking to older people seems to bring to this whole process just this fresh air of curiosity. Well, and I will say that you you were asking about whether it was a feature, sort of a, a part of the project. So the way that, um, so I, I should go back a little bit with one of your questions about how this like ended up coming into being is so we knew that we wanted to have an interview component, but with um, that was not in place until I ended up starting. And then um, I actually, part of the reason that I ended up starting here was I did have some experience with oral history collecting. So um, I did oversee the development of that portion of, uh, of that. Okay. So that, a big part of that was partnering with the Seymour Library here so that we would have digital collection space. But then um, I learned my oral history collecting through my master's program, through Cooperstown graduate program, which I know that you are familiar with through uh, your previous work yourself. So the um, just yeah. because I learned interviewing on an intern like student basis, this really this project really did lend itself to students being a very important part of this and uh and we were very fortunate especially in the in the first two we were actually working with not just local students i mean our first year was somebody from weedsport who's from the county grew up here the whole place and was a woman of color a young woman of color who was really so people were seeing people that you know looked like them working on this project i was really excited that it it really lent itself that way just through and i mean that's who was the most dynamic interviewee that we you know that we found within the intern internship group uh -huh. well you know i'm i'm really grateful that you were able to do that uh, because you know oral histories you know have been around for a while i started myself doing that with my parents uh, probably about 30 years ago um this was you know the little digital cameras and all that were in their infancy then and you certainly didn't have a a way to store this stuff at least easily on the you know in the cloud or anything like that but but people have started it way before that though i mean centuries i suppose before that the point that i'm making is everybody 
needs to have some kind of oral history retention process. Um, you know, I believe back 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 in the the old world for Africans, um, there was this storytelling process that you know came over with uh, some of the enslaved people who came here, our my ancestors who came here. But um, what is it that you think others can grab from what it is that you're doing in Cayuga uh, and, and through your project in other communities around the country can grab from that and learn and use to benefit their own communities? I mean, I think what we're really learning from this is it's really helpful to, you get such a more interesting picture of the community the community that you live in when you recognize that not everybody who's with you looks or thinks the same way that you do i mean the whole point of the U the u.s is a multicultural society right so we our towns and cities all live in these you know as a microcosm of that even if you know you have maybe for instance, in Cuyahoga County, it's a 90% white county and 10% uh, non-white. So, you know, that's a whiter county than the nation as an average. But that doesn't mean that it's only, it only looks like that community. And and then among the white community, we do interview a number of people who are, you know, descendants of immigrants or recent refugees or um, are members of the aged population. So this is really a look at the fact that everybody is a part of history that is a one of the biggest takeaways we want to be in here is that so often we look at history as this almost like a worship of great usually men in in the past um i mean and that's part of the reason why people think that history is boring is you learn facts and dates and you know it's very regimented but it's not stories you're not seeing yourself within it and this is really a way for us to finally start breaking down those walls and let people recognize that i mean everybody is a historian you're like anybody can be one because i mean you were mentioning the oral history sitting down with your parents anyone can do this and i mean yeah. i would take someone's donated stories interviewing their parents any day that is extremely valuable i mean we actually are starting to make partnerships with different school districts to try and get a little bit of that integrated within to our programming with uh students interviewing their family members because there is that more authentic yeah. conversation and i think that's what we need more of in history is authenticity within the conversation because that's how you get better and more accurate history and yeah. a better understanding of what our communities look like and where we can go yeah, and 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 just to add to what you're saying, um, not to take away from your story, but just to add a little something there from 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 my story. What I was saying to you about the interview of my 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 parents, I interviewed my father, um, and he was, I believe, 65 years old at the time, uh, mm. and this was about 30 years, you know, ago, uh, and um, he, um, you know, I interviewed him about where he was born and highlights of his life, the low times, the difficult times. Of course, he talked about meeting our mother and, you know, the birth of his children. And But he also talked, he said something at the end of the interview that was sort of haunting, <laughs> you know, and he said at the end of the interview, he said, um, I'll see you in heaven. And it was kind of weird at the time, but I hadn't really thought about that. Um, what would happen when he passed? Um, so he did pass 
about five years ago. And so what this has become is a gift to the family because it never we never published this interview. And I did that by design not to publish it, you know, at the time. But what we've done, what I've done over the past few years is shared little clips of various pieces of the conversation with him, with the rest of the family. And it brings them a lot of joy. You know, I think the same is true about the histories that you get. People looking back in time will get some serious joy from seeing what you've done, had the foresight to do with this. Um, the next question, and I'm about done with this, um, with uh, this process, I want to take too much of your time here today. But um, so do you ever get stories from people that are not positive or do you run across people sometimes that aren't? uh shall we say people who are willing to tell um a good story or do you run across people who sometimes are a bit salty or a bit angry how do you handle that kind of thing i mean i think that especially if you watch a couple of the interviews in there as, as we sort of talked about there's definitely it's not all a positive response to history i don't think yet we've had any outwardly abusive admissions yet within um within the community there may be especially with maybe some of the lgbtq community here there is a little bit more of that um i mean frankly it's a pretty new project so we are still collecting those voices and we are yet to come across the more critical ones um we will see what comes out of this year we are specifically focusing on at-risk voices for the um the focus for this year's interview so that includes not just the age like the the age population who we may not have long with to your point earlier about interviewing your father uh but also recent refugee groups and people who may be having more of a struggle within you know within integration into the community and i i think on average we've heard more I'd say negative uh, things from the LGBTQ community, but that's also been in talking about the value of doing these interviews, that's been so informative in things that have happened on a citywide basis. I mean, now Auburn has a pride festival. I mean, we have heard from multiple people that they never thought in their entire lifetime, they would ever see Auburn have yeah. pride festivals or anything like that. So it's a, as far as like being prepared for that, I think, you know, you let people tell their own stories. I mean, that's yeah. what it's all about. Yeah. And it's, we are not in the business of censorship yeah. or anything like that. I mean, yeah. it's not history if all you get out of it is a sunny picture. Exactly. And, and it's what like, it's, community looks like. And, and it's not genuine if you say, okay, you can only talk about this or you can only talk about that. So, uh, you know, I, I assume that that's what you were doing. I was just very curious about the i guess the percentage of stories you get but as you said you said you're fairly new and as you continue to grow and go there probably will be more opportunities for stories that may not um paint the rosy picture that we as humans like to sometimes pursue mm-hmm. but jeffrey starks you've you've done an amazing job there what haven't i asked you about that you think is important before we that we should discuss before we uh, finish here uh within the voices project um we are 
developing not just along the um, focusing on the at-risk voices, we are also going to start exploring the concept of doing group interviews going forward. So with having multiple voices in one setting to um, work with one another. So that is something we started exploring last year while working with um, a senior living facility. And this year we will be, uh, I, it, we, Based on our conversations, we will be working with the Ukrainian community here to inform um, that discussion. So I would love to see that be a model for how we can start having a broader conversation with the LGBTQ community here in Auburn as well, especially with um, you, like we were talking about, is a pretty consistent age group within our interviews. I'd love to start seeing some uh, younger perspectives or even older, like, you know, we have a pretty consistent baby boomer gen x age group that we've interviewed so far i'd love to see more diversity of range more diversity of the rest of the county yeah. within here as well because we um it is pretty auburn focused and i mean that's a criticism of the museum in general is that we because we are in auburn we tend to be a little more focused on auburn's history um i will say i think i've been very encouraged with where this has started it is the i will also point out this is as far as anybody knows this is the county's first oral history collecting project. So yeah. it really is an evolving thing. We really want it to be a part of the community where it is community informed. It is not just our institutions forcing someone to tell a story or or force a narrative upon anyone. We really want people to recognize it is about their stories being told because they are a part of history and we are merely its guide we are the ones to help make that be represented here in this space so yeah so i guess one more final thing i'd like to ask you um in in colors a dialogue on race in america that's what we do we talk about race in america just want to get your thoughts on the state of race in america if you would uh, be so kind yeah I will say, kind of going off of something I was talking about a little bit earlier with the U.S., I think we forget how multicultural we are as a society. I often think it is mind-blowing. We are one of the most diverse societies of all time, of all history. And I think it is fascinating to recognize the ways that that has evolved as a nation. I think, you know, you as a historian you recognize the things that have drastically improved from the past. I mean, we are not seeing race riots in quite the same ways that we did even a hundred years ago, but I think racism and race is a, you know, it's an evolving concept. I think, I like to think that as we get to actually work with one another and, and have conversations like this across dialogues and with differing opinions, it, improves matters but um you know until you start improving things on a more structural level as well it is very difficult to uh say so i say we've come a long way there is still a very long way to go and i know that's the very frustrating historian's response to (laughs) to that uh concept especially as a you know i'm a a white man who uh very white man with my red hair and everything like that so Uh, Maybe I'm overly optimistic. I do think that there is a future for more and more positive evolution of of the field, but uh, and of race within this country. But um, 
it's just a matter of us taking taking the lessons that we've learned and 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 using that. Great, great answer, Jeffrey. <laughs> That's a great Thank answer. Thank you. Um, I'm going to end the interview there. Thank you again for taking time to talk to us, Jeffrey Starks. This has been a great pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Stay tuned for some thoughts about race in America and details about our next guest. You're listening to Colors. My name is Jesselyn. I am a multiracial woman raised primarily by white people. I live in Oakland, California, and the killing of George Floyd was heartbreaking and also infuriating, not only because it's a gross abuse of power and violence again, but because our community members have been surviving and grieving and witnessing and calling out this injustice for literally hundreds of years. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America. If you have any questions or comments about Colors, send us an email. You can reach us at colors at thecolorspodcast.com. That's colors at thecolorspodcast.com. Coming up in our next episode of Colors. Each week you hear people telling us their names, their ethnicities, where they're from, and their stories. But next week, a whole show of people's names, ethnicities, where they're from, and what it all means. That's coming up in our next episode of Colors. As we leave, as always, thank you for listening. Thank you to Offshane for our music. Thanks to Jesse Gallagher and Cosmic as well for our music. Thanks to Hillary Howard, Mike Jakaitis, Joel Oxley, Julia Ziegler. Thanks to Rose Varner Gaskins. Thanks to the Core family. Thanks to the Causey family. Thanks to Gina Bazemore. And thanks to all of the people everywhere for everything they do that's positive that contributes to our society. And as each day passes, please keep talking to each other. And just as important, keep listening to each other. You can subscribe to Colors on Apple, Spotify, Podcast DC, Podcast One, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America.